Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. And you've got a, we got a bumper crop of games to talk about today. We have not one, not two, but three games to talk about. And maybe we'll talk about the deadline as well, even though there's really not a lot to talk about there. But joining me this week, I have both of my regular co-hosts coming to us live from the slopes of Miami. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian who is who? What was your favorite part of the week that just passed? Um, all the new signings on deadline day for what? other teams, not for us, <laughs> um, but for the other teams. I was very excited for them that they got to experience the only thing that still brings me joy um, in football is you know a new signing. So, and coming to us uh, slightly further north in the uh, wild outback of East Atlanta, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, what was your favorite part of this jam-packed week of Tottenham Hotspur football? I'd have to say how diligently we podcasted after every match. We <laughs> the most up-to-date. Hey, you know, we went like three months without recording an episode like many moons ago. We recorded, we, we're, we're still doing it once a week. I think, you know, until people want to start giving us money, I think that's more than sufficient, so... You know, it's not the people not wanting to give us money. It's really more the laziness on our end of not setting up a portal or a method for them to potentially give us that money. Hey, Brian, you, you, know, you know all about everyone. collecting money for goods and services. Why don't you do that for us? Yeah, that just seems too much like actual work. Mm. Instead of telling people on Twitter handles, we should start leaving our cash apps. That gets anywhere. So, yes, we have another smooth transition for Wheelie Dealer Radio. Uh, We have, like I said, three games to talk about. We have a 1-1 draw against West Ham last week that sure didn't feel like a draw. We have a 2-1 win against Fulham this past weekend, which honestly felt like a lot more than that. And then we had a 2-0 draw, or win, um, rather, against Marseille, which felt... I think just about like that. So three to talk about uh, kind of showing the arc of Tottenham season here. Uh, West Ham, I think was definitely our worst game of the season, our worst performance of the season. But I would say it, it started out like a lot of our games and that, you know, we were kind of controlling it, not looking super convincing. You know, we score a goal, but then things kind of went off the rails. Uh, Brian, what, what made the West Ham game, I, I think it's a little bit different from a lot of the games this season. But what what made what what do you think made this game unique? Um, honestly, I've blocked out so much of that West Ham game. Um, I think the thing that made it unique was we actually had a lot more of the ball um, than we had in some of our previous kind of middling performances, and then the fact that we just didn't really create a lot of good chances or good opportunities when we did have the ball. 
was pretty frustrating. Um, and then, you know, just kind of the way that they scored their goal is, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's, it was, it was not a fun match and, and having that right before the deadline, um, made you kind of wonder if we were going to actually do some stuff. And then, uh, well, and then as we all know, we did so many things. That Is that were bad though? Considering not related to signing players, considering so. Dan James was one of the options. That's so bad that we didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can come on to that later, but, uh, yeah, no, given who we were kind of linked with late other than, you know, Malinowski, who maybe wasn't that much of an option. There's nobody that I'm really upset about missing out on. Well, it sounded like, I mean, for one reason or another, Atalanta shut us down or shut it down because Marseille was also interested in buying him. But yeah, I, I, going back to the West Ham game, this might be simplistic, but this just felt like a game where the momentum got away from us. And I feel like as someone who comes on the internet once a week and talks about Tottenham Hotspur, I should have a more informed opinion. But I, I don't know about you guys because we had other games where I, I, I want to say the Nottingham Forest game in particular, where you know Kane didn't score that penalty, and you saw Forest really ride a wave of momentum for the next few minutes. But we really got that game under control, and you know I think the opposite happened in this West Ham game that we we had that penalty disallowed on v, VAR and. I don't know. That felt like a turning point in the game to me. That feels like a simplistic thing to say, but I don't have a better explanation for it. Ben, I'm curious what you think. I mean, I think, you know, it started like most of our games this season had started where we were not moving the ball well at all in the first half. We were seeding a lot of possession, not giving up a lot of great chances, but we weren't doing anything. And so far we've seen Conte take it into halftime, you know, give the guys a pep talk and we start to like look like a team in the second half and like we just were not playing a first half all season um and then this game happened and we didn't do the normal thing where we turned it around uh west ham scored pretty quickly and that was just kind of it for us um you know i think the real frustrating part of that game was the culmination of the davinson sanchez experiment where we just really struggled to move the ball out of the back line. They gave us a lot of time for the center backs to pass. We couldn't do it without Romero and we kind of looked like shit. Um, And then the really galling part was watching Conte sit there and sit on his hands all match and not make a substitute until the 75th minute. He made one sub and, you know, Richarlison looked bright. He looked energetic, but it was just like, why, after all of this summer and all of the depth we supposedly acquired, were we not capable of bringing on something to change the game? Um, and I think that led into a deadline day where we were like, well, surely we have to do something. And we didn't do anything. Um, it obviously got better regardless, but that was a frustrating 24 hours. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about the one sub thing. And, and you're right. It was especially galling because... Ben Davis didn't seem to be playing well, and we had Longley on the bench. Um, you know, Emerson was his usual self, and we had Spence available on the bench. Um, you know, I think 
kind of for me the the overall sort of theme of the the last three weeks has just been kind of my frustrations with our midfield <laughs> and the, this match where we started with Basuma and Hoiberg, they just offered nothing and and Basuma really just doesn't look like he has a grasp on where he's supposed to be and where the ball is supposed to be delivered to and and that sort of stuff Which, at this point. You have well, to hope that with more time. I'm a little surprised given, you know, I mean, I like to bag on um, Potter, um, who might be the Chelsea manager, so a lot of people might be joining me in that in the near future. But, I mean, Potter runs a relatively sophisticated system for a team at that level, so I'm a little surprised. I mean, Conte is a lunatic, so... It might be I one think, of those things that he'll get sooner or later, but I'm a little surprised Basuma's hasn't gotten himself into Conte's good books yet. I just don't think Potter's system is as structured as what Conte wants. Like I think he still allows his players a little bit of creative freedom, and Conte literally wants you to be football automatons. And and so I don't know that necessarily that meshes with how Basuma plays, and certainly it doesn't. I don't think it matches up with how he was coached at, at Brighton. But but even there, it took him time to get going. Like he his, his second season was really where he took off. It was actually it was his third season. He had two seasons at at uh, Brighton where he had 17 starts his first season and 15 starts the second season, and it wasn't until the year after that that he played 35 games and was like became the guy we all knew he was likely to be based on, you know, what he had done in, in France the year before he moved. Um, and I remember being very frustrated with Potter. Like, why is this guy who's clearly like a great signing for them, not getting on the pitch while you're playing, you know, much less talented players. Um, and like in hindsight, it may be, he's just kind of a slow learner. And like, it took him some time to like get a handle on what the coach wanted. And I obviously, you know, when we bought a guy this far into his career, I'm not looking for somebody who's going to take two seasons to figure things out before he's ready to be a contributor. He really needs to be a contributor. It could be, I mean, it could be half a season, which I yep. think is more than fair. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm just like, oh, wow, that was a steeper learning curve for him um, to get into the team and, and make his mark than I really remembered. Um, and so hopefully we're not going to see something that bad, but... I guess maybe a little more patience than I was expecting is maybe required for what I thought. What what I thought was interesting about the West Ham game, and you guys might disagree with me here, is I thought we looked better in the first half than we've looked in recent weeks. It's not as good as I want the team to look, or as good as we looked last year, but we were controlling the game more or less. I thought we were a little more all over West Ham is too strong, but you know, I thought. Spurs looked up for it, and like going by the trajectory of previous weeks, I thought, okay, well, we're starting better than we have done. We look lively. I mean, to me, what still looks like the problem, it looks like the problem in most of the, I think the Fulham game was a little bit of an exception, but, you know, we talk about how we need, how we need other passers and all this other stuff. Like, I mean, part of the problem to me is like, I mean, forget like having a guy who can cut, who can break the back of a line or something. Like, I mean, our guys just aren't making crisp passes right now, simple crisp passes, and they're not receiving the ball well. I mean, it's stuff that – it's basic stuff that we're just not doing well right now. I mean, forget about getting a guy like Erickson or, you know, Malinovsky or whoever in here. I mean, if these guys could just, like, make secure passes and receive the ball – and I understand some of that is the nature of the passers we have. I'm not ignorant of that. But 
just everyone feels so wild and sloppy. And if they were just doing what they were trying to do a little more assuredly, I think it would everything would look at least a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's definitely a lack of sharpness in everybody. Um, you know, Sun in particular is very guilty of, as a recipient of the ball, just caving under pressure and not being able to turn um, and, and look upfield. It's just been, yeah, just simple bad stuff, let alone, like you said, like a guy playing Hollywood through balls. It's, it's just we can't make basic passes between the lines. And, you know, and I think it's probably a mix of what's going on with the team in general in terms of passing. But also, like, I mean, again, I might be discounting. I, I tend to disrespect West Ham like a lot of Spurs fans. I don't think they're a very good team, even though they've been a very good team the last few years. Um, you know, they had a very good game against Chelsea this week, which I honestly couldn't tell you how much that's worth anymore. But, you know, maybe this was the game they woke up in, probably going away to West Ham in a game where they sort of get a foothold is a little harder than I'm giving it credit for, but you know, and and just losing that penalty might've changed things in a way, you know, that is hard to cope with. But yeah, I I don't know with where this team was when that penalty was awarded. I, I feel like they should have gone on to win that game. I don't think West Ham, you know, I I mean, yes, they were playing better than us for like at least the last third of that game. They made changes. They brought on fresh legs. But I did a lot of, they weren't. Play, I mean, you're right, but I don't think they were playing in such a way where it's like we should. Like, I just like watch it. It's like we should beat this team. Like this is a team we should be better than. Yeah, I mean, they got they got the goal on like a throw in that we fell asleep on. It was like you're right that they weren't just like carving us open from open play time and time again. But you know, when we play with such tight margins, like we have most of this season, it's like you're vulnerable to a mistake like that. We've largely kept those kinds of half chances from becoming real opportunities but eventually one of them goes in and you know when you only have a one goal lead that's kind of it um you know we i mean to segue to fulham we looked much better oh we were whipping fulham's ass i mean vulnerable to almost blowing that game with a late scare um that felt different like i don't mind it as much when you're getting like 20 whatever shots on goal like absolutely it's just like I'd like us to stop making hard work of things. Like when we finally put together a performance we did against Fulham, which was top to bottom, excellent, and easily the best we've looked this season. But maybe this in Southampton. Certainly the best first half we've played this season. You know, you'd like to see the the goals padded a little bit. I mean in theory we padded at the end of the match, but you know, that and it got chalked off, but you know, but I, I, I get what you're saying. You want to put, I mean, that was kind of the way it was. I mean, we'll get right back to Fulham, but in the Marseille game today, it was like, oh, it was this nervy match where we couldn't quite break through. Then, we're, you know, we got Richarlison's first goal. And then, like, I don't know, five minutes later or whatever it was, he scores a second. All of a sudden, the tension lifts because, you know, there ain't no way 10-man Marseille is going to, like, score two goals in 10 minutes or whatever it was. So, but the Fulham match was, like you said, I think it was our best match top to bottom. And it's one of those, like, I mean, going into the game, I assume Fulham was a pretty decent team. I mean, they played Arsenal tough the week before. Um, they've had some decent results this year. I mean, again, they're Fulham, so I, I'm not, like, too blown away by it. But I thought we did a really good job. I mean, Mitrovic, I don't think, until the end of that match, didn't do anything against us. I mean, all of our attackers looked dangerous. 
I mean, it was just a really impressive performance, I thought. Brian? Yeah, I thought we looked great in the Fulham game. Uh, like you said, every single one of our attackers looked good. I mean, you know, you've got Harry Kane doing 360 no-scopes to, you know, people, like, just out of nowhere. And, um, you know, Son still can't buy a goal for some reason, um, even though he's been – he got in so many good positions in that match. And, and we really kind of thought that his touch was kind of back in this Fulham game. He thought, okay – you know, maybe he'll get lucky. <laughs> excuse me, lucky, and one of these chances will go in. But it just didn't happen for him, um, and and so that was the main frustrating part. But you know, I I don't think I could pick out anyone really that was actively bad in this game, uh, other than maybe Emerson. Um, but like Ryan Sessegnon was really good. I think he's actually looked a lot better this season. Um, you know, his effort I, for I, that one goal was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, he he had a nice shot of his own and, you know, he was constantly in really good positions. Um, I like him as as a understudy sort of to Perisic. I think they, you know, we don't really lose a lot when, you know, one versus the other is on the pitch, um, which is which is probably the only position we can say that at, um, which is nice. But uh, how dare you? Speak ill of a Charleston. Yeah, that's Ben's job. That's true. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I assume we're going to talk about Richarlison more with the Marseille match, but like, this was a really interesting match to me because Richarlison is really like changing what I th- perceive about him as like a, as the style of play that he has. <laughs> I guess in watching him with. Everton, I just kind of thought of him as like at Eric Lamella with a slightly better goal scoring record. Like I thought of him kind of as a lightweight wingery, um, you know, wide forward type guy. Um, but he is a he's a big strong dude, and you know he was bodying players against Fulham, and not just you know bodying them on the run, but playing with his back to goal holding the ball up, doing little knock-ons, and he continued doing that sort of stuff in Mar- against Marseille. And I really like that. And it, it gives us another dimension, and it'd be really nice if he was playing one-twos with people that weren't, like, Eric Dyer and Pierre-Emile Hoybjerg. But, like, I guess that's what we're doing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really cool, and I, I kind of want to see him play you know, in, instead of Harry Kane, not like as a permanent solution, but I want to see what that team looks like in one of these Champions League or Cup matches. Because I think, you know, if you run a front line of Kulisevsky, Richarlison, Son, I think that is really interesting in terms yeah. of the mobility and the different ways that all three of those guys can attack you. I knew he could get physical. I knew he could get in there and bang with other players but like you know i don't watch that much effort and i'm not going to complain like seeing like sort of vaguely knowing it from the few matches you do watch and like hearing them reading about him and then like watching it like I, i'm really impressed like i mean i i think i was the highest on for charleston on this podcast and i am like i didn't think he was this physical like i mean i knew he was physical like I, i've seen the comparisons to lamella and stuff but boy i mean he 
I mean, he gets in there, and he is. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's it's. It, there's a lot to his game that I'm kind of like, oh, I knew about this, but I I'm kind of impressed the degree of it. Like his close control, I've been very impressed with. Like the way he works in tight spaces. I I mean, he's just. I mean, he's 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 been a great signing, and you know, I mean that that's sort of that fourth attacker and having just another look. It's been, I mean, it's been a revelation, and I mean. It's it's just great. It's it's he's he's such a good addition to this team. Uh, ben, would you like to apologize to Richarlson? No, I'm just admiring your Chris Farley interview impression. No, I don't. I, I don't know where else to go with it. It's just he's such a wildly impressive player, at least for like a guy from Everton, which is like, what do you expect? Like, yeah. So Richarlson had a really rocky year last year, and you blame that to minutes on his legs and international commitments and lack of rest and, and recovery time. And, you know, um, Everton being worse than usual. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's all of those are very fair reasons why he did not have a good season last year, but he did not have a good season last year. And so I was very concerned and I, none of that is there. I mean, he is full of energy, you know, runs all day, presses like crazy. You know, we talked about the, struggle to like receive the ball with your back to the defense and turn on guys. And, you know, he is doing a singular job of providing us with that outlet that we've been really missing. Um, And he's just in there scrapping, getting on the end of chances. He's running off the ball. Well, and, you know, getting opportunities. He's doing uh, that. His assists are great. Like he's got, he's got technique. I wasn't aware he had like, yeah, I mean, like, right before Fulham scored, he had that, like, fucking jumping ninja kick shot off the post and then somehow didn't go in and then, you know, scored again, like, 10 minutes later and didn't count. Like, he's been knocking on the door and putting himself about and was just, yeah, a real bright spot. And it was nice to see him get another opportunity on the back of such a good all-around performance and finally get the goals that, you know, his performances so far have deserved. And hopefully that's just the beginning of more to come. Well, let's let's jump into that because, um, I mean, we, I don't want to give the Fulham game too much of a short trip, but we did just play Marseille today, our first Champions League game in, uh, God, two years. Um, and it was, I mean, I don't know, it started out pretty ugly, but it ended really nice because Richarlson scored two really clean, clean goals. I mean, it's funny given how much Marseille was packing the box that, where Charleston was just completely unmarked on the first goal in the middle of the box. Just two two great headers. I mean, really a nice little coming out party for Richarlson. And, you know, you got to feel good for a guy like that who's been through so much, played for Watford and Everton, and now he's, like, you know, getting braces in Champions League matches. It's, it was, it's funny because... I don't know. This was kind of some more of the same of some of Tottenham's less impressive performances this year. But, you know, when you consider that, you know, you consider that, uh, you know, Marseille was packing it in, you know, as soon as they went down to 10 men, wasn't really creating much before that. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's like, I, I, you end up feeling good about it because of how good Richarlison was in the last 20 minutes, but. Yeah, I mean, I I think the the match as a whole was kind of a lot of nothing. 
uh, up to the point where the red card happens. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the first half was basically the same first half we've seen from this team most of this first month of the season. And it was, you know, limiting Marseille to basically nothing while also seeding them most of the possession. And then when we did get the ball, having counterattacks that basically sputtered out or um, did, didn't result in a, in a good chance or a good shot. And it was just brutal. Um, and then, you know, the second half, uh, gets underway and, and we look better without having really made any changes. I think the change again seems to come to our effort and our application. And then we get uh, uh, Mbemba sent off and go up. Uh, and even then, we still don't really create much for another, what, probably 15, 20 minutes? That, that bothers me less than the first half. Like, you know, Marseille is going to pack it in with 10 minutes. Like, you know, that's not. That's never easy to break down, but... Um, I mean, when you have a man advantage, you should do a better job of... But when the other team's not trying to get out of their own half... I I, I understand your point. I, I disagree f- just fundamentally. Like, we had two shots on goal. And, um, you know, like, we won the XG battle, but, like... We, that was because, like ben, uh, you said, you know, Richarlison is unmarked for that first one. The second one is a is a pretty high XG chance as well. Nothing else we really did move the needle at all. And, you know, whether that's down to not having a passer in midfield, to, you know, waiting so long to make substitutions, to whatever. It, it was just a little disappointing that it took so long. In the end, great result. Good to get three points. Good to get the clean sheet. Happy for Richarlison. All that's great. But it's just kind of still the same thing. I think, you know, one thing we didn't talk about Fulham was the return of Romero and Longley's inclusion in the team and then Bentoncourt coming back. So we had three guys in that, you know, five-man kind of unit who could move the ball a lot more effectively than Basuma and, and Sanchez and, you know, those guys were doing. And that looked like a, a really key way of fixing a lot of our ball progression problems. And it let us play with those three forwards and Kane, Son, and Richarlison, who not none of them are, you know, play like Kulishevsky. None of them pass like he does. Nobody, like, has the vision that he does. Um, and it didn't – we didn't really miss that in that game. Um, and, you know, I think Conte kind of rolled out the same team – minus Sessegnon for Perisic. And we found that those same improvements that worked so well against Fulham kind of weren't enough to solve a team that's that much better than Fulham are. Um, and, you know, we finally brought on Kulishevsky and he made a difference, you know, and we made two more subs that looked insane on their face. We brought in Ben Davis and Tanganga. It was like, really, this is what our bench has to offer? Like, that's not super promising. But it changed up the formation a little bit, let us get Kulishevsky and Perisic higher down the pitch. And, you know, we were able to sort of leverage the attacking talent we had elsewhere and, like, kind of drive that forward um, with those substitutions. But, you know, I think the trick for Conte is we have a lot of good players right now who are playing well, but they're kind of 
playing in the same places and how do you kind of tinker that in a way that you know can beat better teams who do you sit who do you do we have to change shape is that a possibility um i don't know yeah and and i mean i i also don't know what the answer is and because you know for all the depth that we have acquired and and the players that we did buy this summer it's hard to based on early season performances look at what's on the field and say definitively that you know there's one player that you can plug into this lineup that that makes this team better or different you know Kulisevsky and Richarlison kind of being interchangeable parts and you know you get a little bit different uh, way that they interpret the role or whatever but but ultimately I think they're they're fairly close in level and what this team ultimately the level of performance is like when they're on the field um I just you know I don't know I I, I don't I don't know what the answer is um I wish we'd signed one one or two more players or you know Another center back, a, another wing back, a, a midfielder. I don't know. I, well, it's frustrating. It's it's interesting you talk about you know guys you can plug in and all all these various players that are competing for spots because I think one thing we were talking about before you know but certainly after the West Ham game was you know like we're really missing Romero in our back line and you know like where's that passing from the back line came in and today we had Longley and Romero in the back line and whatever else you want to say about those dudes they know how to progress the ball and we are still having some of those issues and I mean what I would say is this looks like a team that is still adjusting to some sort of system which is a little surprising given that Conte was you know he's been here since last almost a year now and you know, obviously people like Longley and Richarlson and all these guys are new, but and Basuma and all them. But, you know, like even guys who have been here for a while, they just don't look sharp. They don't look crisp. And maybe it's, I mean, I don't know if Conte's got them trying new stuff. I don't know if they just fell out of rhythm in the summer and they need to get back into it. Because I think if we saw one thing under Conte is he might mess around with a system to beat a team like City. But he's not going to like, He's going to keep playing the way he wants to play, so these guys just learn it and get it. Um, obviously, it's a little different when you had a full preseason and you're not trying to teach these guys from scratch in the middle of the season. But, I don't know, they, they just don't look like they're all on the same page or they've figured out exactly how they're supposed to play. And, you know, like I said, may, maybe that's a product of they're trying some new stuff and they haven't quite gotten those new patterns yet, but... You know, in theory, having Longley and Romero in that back line today should have solved a lot of the problems we saw last week. Now, eventually, it all worked out. And I'm, Brian, I think you alluded to it. I think if, you know, that red card doesn't happen, that second half might look a little different if they're not so, you know, not even bothering to come forward. Um, certainly, you know, if Sun can stay upright there on the red card, you know, I mean, he's got a one on one chance with the keeper, which, you know, again, hasn't worked out well for him a lot lately, but you got to figure sooner or later that luck's going to turn. So I have a question about the red card. If he'd have waited until Sun was in the penalty area to take him down, he w- would he not have gotten sent off? He should have gotten – it should be a penalty and sending off, right? Because didn't 
they deal away with like the the double jeopardy thing? Like, so they'll just give you like a yellow card and That's then so award the penalty. Or do yeah, I make I, that up? No, there's some cases where you can get both, and I don't know if it's like violent conduct or something. You can still get a red card and a penalty, but or if like you don't attempt to play the ball. I, I don't really know. It's it's confusing. Yeah. Uh, it was a bad challenge, and it was really dumb. And uh, I think professional fouls like that should always be red cards, personally. Um, but that would Pep Guardiola wouldn't like that, so we're not going to do that. But you're supposed to let the other team play, too? No, never. Um, yeah. Cynical fouling on the break is just the thing that drives me the most fucking insane. Well, it was, who were, it was Chelsea. Reese James, like, horse, literally horse-collar tackled. Son, when he was on a breakaway in the middle of the field, like, and he just got a yellow for it. Like, I feel like if you like put your arms around someone and drag them down because it's a tactical foul, I don't know. It's very, like, I feel like if you don't make any effort to hide what you're doing or even pretend that you're going for the ball, like, you know, you should pay the price for that. Yeah. Um, just to kind of touch more on your point, I mean, uh, there, Craig, I, it certainly seems like we're trying to do different things than what we have done in past seasons. I mean, certainly in the match today, um, we saw Eric Dyer getting further forward. I don't know if that was a product of what Marseille were doing and how their attackers were positioned. Um, but there were twice where he popped up, you know, doing one twos around the center circle and then making runs into the attack. Um, and then the thing that I found interesting the last couple of games is just, like, how far forward Hoiberg is playing. Like, he is now our kind of fourth man into the box um, uh, on most of these attacks, and he's winding up getting goals and getting in weird attacking positions, which is not really great because his end product, you know, as a as a passer and a shooter is, is leaves a lot to be desired. But um, he was popping up in those positions again today. So I, I just... I I have to hope it's an issue of sharpness because, like you said, and we said earlier in the show, nobody's touch is great. No one is displaying like the the type of precision that we're used to. Um, you know, things seem to be taking time to like think about instead of just playing, um, and it's just all moving so slowly. Well, you can see them hitting some of these passes that are like. You know, like, they cut through, like, two defenders, and then there's just, like, you know, a Marseille midfielder at the end of it. There's not... You almost expect, like, oh, wow, that's a that's a really nice-looking pass. And as the camera pans over, you know, you sort of expect a Spurs player to be in the general vicinity, and there's not. And that's a bit of an extreme example from what we saw today. But it was just... It, it's. I think we're being a little more down on... Because of West Ham, I think we're being a little more down on Marseille than we necessarily need to be, because... Eventually, Kulishevsky came on, and they really started turning the screws, like you said, Ben. And, you know, I think Spurs more than earned... I mean, you know, we talk about the XG. You know, I think they earned that XG because they were creating those chances. I mean, yes, they were at sort of much later in this match than we would like to see, but the fact of the matter is they created them. Yeah, I mean, all in all, I know this has been <laughs> more of a sober analysis than you know, a jubilant celebration after two pretty good wins. Um, sorry for being that person. But, like, I do generally feel pretty good about how we responded to West Ham and how we've looked in these two matches. And, you know, you can feel things start to come together. You can see what a difference a guy like Richarlison makes, you know, 
the long legs giving us something to dream on. Perisic and Sessignon both, and Perisic had a kind of a rough day today, but generally speaking, both look like really bright wing back options. Like it, there's a lot of stuff that like is coming together really well. Well, and a lot of it is, you look at, like, Perisic, to a lesser extent, Royale and Sessegnon. Like, they keep getting in, like, especially Perisic, like, pretty good positions. And he, in particular, is hitting these amazing crosses that just don't seem to be synced up with where the attackers are. And especially a player like Perisic, who's so good and so experienced, you figure that's going to come. You know, he's hitting crosses to Harry Kane. Sooner or later, they're going to figure that one out. Like... I mean, these are two players who are entirely too smart not to arrive at that sooner or later. And, you know, it's uh, the signs are there. Again, like, I think I think it's worth stating, because we have been a little sober, like, I think it's promising where the season started. I think some of the negativity that you're seeing among Spurs fandom comes from, you know, I think no matter what anyone says deep in our lizard brain, we'd all convinced ourselves that there might be a title to challenge in, the, in, in this season. And especially with Arsenal starting the season playing so well, which, you know, that took an ugly turn over the weekend as well. You know, I think we were all getting a little frustrated that we weren't exactly seeing champagne football out there. And, you know, I think we're going to look at this a lot differently, you know, in the way that we did last season. If we eventually, like, really, you know, get all the everything sort of working together, you know, like we, you know, I, I think some of our struggles last year looked a little different in context of, you know, we really whipped ass for two months at the end of the season. You know, which I'm not saying we're going to do that this year. I'm not saying we're going to have a title challenge. But I think I think because it's been a bit of a struggle, because we're all working hard to get on the same page, I think Spurs fans have been a little harsher about this season than maybe they should be. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Arsenal coming back down to earth this weekend, with Liverpool looking absolutely diabolical, um, except for one unbelievable win to follow that up with the way they've looked since is pretty funny. Um, we have City this weekend. You know, we usually beat them. We just take those easy three points. If Romero puts Holland in the hospital, and it's something, <laughs> we've got a title challenge on our hands again. Like, that guy's been insane. And you kind of, like, look over at what Man City's doing and see – what a fucking machine this dude is and like what 10 goals already in like six games. He's, like He's the first player at city under Pep who like stands out and isn't just like an automaton. Although he is a robot, but you know, you know what I mean? Ironically, the most automaton type person that they've ever signed. No, but he's the only one who feels distinctive on that team. The rest are just these like killing, you know, these killer pet bots. Whereas I don't know. It's, it's, it's really, it's really annoying watching it, but you, you just hope that he's going to, like, blow a hamstring halfway through the season like he always did at Dortmund. So That's why Romero needs to know what his job is. If we want to win the title, Holland has to go down. No, no. Okay, look, what you need to do, you need to assess where the match is at 80 minutes. And if we're winning by more than a goal or we're down by more than two goals, you send on Sanchez with a gun. And you yeah, tell him, we're going to send you a lot of cigarettes in prison and we're going to take care of you. Go figure this out. <laughs> that seems extreme. Well, Brian, maybe you're just not prepared to win, do what it takes to win a title. <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> I'm just talking like blow out his kneecap. No, you don't have to kill the guy. Like, I don't, mean, Ben, I'm not telling him what to do. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm just going to put it in his hand and set him out on the pitch. And what he does after that. <laughs> and we've seen his aim. 
Holland is safe. <laughs> like, honestly, people that might be around Holland probably in more danger. So, cool. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> now that we move past the assassination portion of our podcast. Right. No, but, but back to your point. Let's make that clear. Yeah, we're anti. No one said, Your Honor, nobody said assassination. Uh, I don't know if that'll help. Um, so, back to your point about, you know. Uh, you want to hear from your lawyer. Yeah, what was my point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think before we were making the point that, you know, it, this has been a weird season in that the results have been great and, uh, you know, but the performances haven't really been uh, sort of up to what our expectations were and that this has felt a lot more grinding out victories and grinding out points than perhaps it needed to. And, and I don't know. I, I think, you know, the nature of the Tottenham fan is to want the champagne football that you talked about. I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons we were so, um, you know, miserable under Jose and Nuno as we, we thought like, God, this is horrible. This is what we have to watch every week, even when it was at times very effective. Um, and, and we know what Conte is. We knew he was a very, you know, defensive manager, but he'd just come off a season where Inter had scored the most goals in Serie A. He'd had some really good and exciting matches. They'd scored, um, you know, big numbers in, in games in Italy. And you just thought, well, we have better attackers than them. We can make that happen. And, you know, we did uh, for for a significant portion of last year. I think, you know, I think Ben said on the show before that we scored, I think, was it more goals in, in the 2022 portion of last season than, than any other team in the league. And, you know, that just hasn't carried over. And I think that's the frustrating part, especially when you look at now you have some better players, some more experience in the system. You just... You just expect progression to be linear, and it has not been linear this season, and that is frustrating. But I'm sure at a certain point we will, you know, get better. So what is different? I want to talk about that because I would say fair – what would you guys say? Last two months of the season? I mean, obviously we were playing well before that in fits and starts, but I would say for the last two months of the season we look like a machine by and large. And – excuse me. And – um you know, we played. I think we played a whole variety of teams that were really good to teams that were really bad. I don't think we were just beating up on tomato cans at the end of last season. And I think that you know we have not played Arsenal's incredibly soft schedule so far this year, but we've played an array of teams of varying strengths. Ben, I'll start with you. What is the sort of? And again, this is like again, you know, Fulham could only hope to have a problem like this. So I, I don't want to get. I want to keep some perspective here, but why has it looked like more of a grind this year as opposed to that sort of champagne football we were getting at the end of last year? I mean, the two most simple individual explanations are we were out with, uh, without Romero for a while. And like, we know what a difference maker he is. And son last spring was like one of the best players in the world. And now he looks like we're like seriously talking about like, should we bench him for this guy we've signed from Everton? And that alone, leaving aside all of the other issues of system and new players betting in and, you know, whatever, not having a guy as good as Son on the pitch is just going to make you worse. 
full stop. You know, we never used to feel like, oh, okay, if we pass it to Sun, he's going to turn it over immediately. We never felt like if we get Sun free in space, he's not going to put a reasonable chance on target. And like, he's just doing none of that. And it's like getting better. Things are starting to creep into his game that he's like looking like a useful player at least. But like, you can't go from having a guy who's one of the best players in the world to a guy who you're just carrying match match after match. Um, you know, if that fixes itself, like that could be the answer for everything. And the Sun playing worst thing is, I think, made more frustrating by the fact that Harry Kane seems to be playing great right now. Um, you know, uh, just he's scoring again. He's getting into dangerous positions. I think the West Ham game was probably his worst game of the season. And I don't think it's a, it's a shock that it came in what was also our worst game of the season. Um, so, so having him firing and then just not having the rest of the guys in the forward line, not, you know, picking up their part is, is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. And like there is a real argument to until Sun sorts it out, do we just start for Charleston and Kulishevsky? You know, I think I mean, we talked about it, like it makes sense to let Sun play through it because you know he's going to get back to being as good as as he can be. But like he's very far off that. But I, I think yes and no. I think it's true that Sun can't buy a goal. I think he's been bad in transition, but his he is creating shots and assists at a level that is like. Not bad. Like, I mean, it's not as bad. I think it's one of those things where when you look at the numbers, which don't tell you everything, but do tell you something, it, I think there is a degree of luck that is happening to Sun right now, which is why I lean a little bit more on the side, Brian, of like, yeah, you do let him play through it a little bit. Because, like, I mean, I think the Fulham game is a great example. Like, Sun was incredibly unlucky not to score, like, two go- two goals in that game, at least. I mean, I mean the thing about Sun is, is he is historically – a super good finisher. Like he outperforms his expected goals by like significant margins. And he's done it so many seasons that it's like, it's not a fluke. This is what son is capable of. And so right now his expected goals and assists are down from last year. And he's not only not overperforming them, he's underperforming them. So like the swing from like what you would have expected him to do by now is a huge chasm. Like, you know, he also he's also a streaky player. Like, I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know he's gone through periods like that feel like this, at least in the past. Like, I mean, it's not like this is without precedent. Um, right. Well, last spring was not one of those periods. No, he was no. La- last year was not one of those periods. Um, like the whole season was great. Right. And it's like that looked like, oh, Sun has turned a corner. He's no longer streaky. He's even getting better chances and more opportunities. And he's continuing to outperform them. So he's just going to score, you know, 25 goals again. And now he's like, well, fuck, is he going to score five goals this season? Like, obviously, but like, that's how he's playing. But I think that's, that's, that's one big. of the smart things about getting Richarlson. Because I think we, we, we had this conversation, um, or maybe Ryan had this conversation with us at some point. Like, what if Son doesn't keep playing like this? Well, good thing you've got a guy who can chip in 10 to 15 goals if you need him to. Like, you know, it's, it's again, I, I've, I, I think I said this last week. I said it when we signed him. It's like City buying Mares. It's not like their area of greatest need, but you're really shoring up something and protecting yourself. Yeah. 
Excellent analysis, Craig. I, you know, that's why you come here um, for for my scintillating tactical analysis. Um, yeah, no. wisdom. Uh, you know, you, you think about it, you consider the universe, you wonder about, you know, why that announcer that we were getting in America today spent half the match washing Marseille's balls. Like, I, I, I want to ask you guys, because you guys are, Ben in particular, is much more negative about Tottenham than I am. <laughs> I did not think Marseille looked particularly good today. Um, yes, they had more of the ball than I think you might have expected. That announcer was talking about them like they were like 1970 Brazil. I mean, it was getting ridiculous, like the level at which he was just slurping them. Was it, Am I crazy? Am I a homer for thinking that was insane? No. They had like .2 expected goals over the course of the match, and most of that was the first half, and that's not a good first half anyway. Like that was, yeah, no, they were nothing. Yeah, for our British listeners, just to give you an example of this, at one point, I think at the very beginning of the second half, uh, the announcer said, a performance that will make Europe sit up and stand up and take notice of Marseille, which is not not what I was seeing out there. But um, I don't know. I was very unimpressed with Marseille. And, you know, I thought that we finally sort of turned the screws and put the sword to them at the end uh, to mix metaphors was very satisfying because I did not think they were a particularly good team. I mean, they frustrated us well, and they had a lot of ball, a lot of the ball around our box. And, you know, we've seen that enough times this season to know that that's not really a dangerous situation for us. You know, teams don't really create <laughs> opportunities, except for a couple of times against West Ham. <laughs> we've mostly limited teams to very little. Yeah, honestly, we should buy Antonio so we just don't have to play him anymore. That's an option. He is a person that plays football. Um, I mean, I think I think the best thing about this Marseille game is we got the three points. Like, you don't want to be chasing you don't want to be chasing points in the in the early stages of the Champions League. And you know, we talked on last week's show while you weren't here, Ben, about how you know the the group is not that strong, and so you just kind of want to go out there and crush these guys, and you know, have us qualified by you know, end of match week four, and then, you know, you get to play a Basuma or a Saar or, you know, a Tanganga or whatever in the in these Champions League games that are basically dead rubbers. And, um, I you know, this is a great start to that. Um, I watched a little bit of the sporting match today, and um, Frankfurt don't impress me at all. So I, I think it's, it's going to be an easy group for us was the consensus that marseille is our our hardest opponent yeah i think that i I think that's what we basically said before the season when the group was drawn i read a lot about how like sporting as some like hot shit you know up-and-coming coach but they're like eighth in the portuguese league which is seems like a real achievement for a club the size of sporting so I, i you know i mean before before the season started, I would say Sporting might have had a shot at being second in the group. But, yeah, I think you're probably right, Ryan. Brian? They also have – Sporting also have Tottenham Hotspur legend Marcus Edwards. So. They do have Tottenham Hotspur legend Marcus Edwards. We've had a goal and an assist today, so watch out. That's going to be a tasty fixture. But, yeah, no, be, I mean, you're right. Beating Marseille at home is like that's the start you want. 
the other team should be easier. That's three points in the bank against the team who should be our toughest competitor. We're in good. We're in good shape. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to go to, I think this is who we play on the last match day of the C, of yeah, the Champions League group stage. So if we yeah. if we had to go to the velodrome needing three points, that's not something I feel great about. Yeah, I so. don't think Marseille is a great team, but that is one of the more intimidating atmospheres in Europe. That I was about to say doesn't involve the threat of violence, but that's not entirely true. So, um, I mean, it is one of the more intimidating yeah, atmospheres so, in Europe. I have no idea how they've been playing, but they are, you know, tied on points with PSG at the top of the table. So they're not, they're not nobodies. Well, I mean, I know Marseille's in an interesting situation in that their manager, who was actually fairly well regarded and I think is a bit of a psychopath, uh, Sampol. I'm going to Brian. What was his name? Jorge Sampali. Sampali. Oh, I was almost there. Um, Sampali. He quit right before the season started, and I know they were very unhappy with this manager um, that they brought in. And a lot of people that I was reading when we drew them in our group were saying that you know if. You know, I mean, Marseille, I guess, technically is the only French team to ever win the Champions League, and they take it pretty seriously. And they were saying that if they get off to a bad Champions League start, they think things could get ugly in a hurry for this guy. Um, you know, again, I don't watch him in the French League, but I could believe it after watching this match. I still would rather not go there looking for points. Yeah, I mean, this and a, a win, you know, next week, and you feel pretty good about where you're at. One final thing, I know we've sung a lot of uh, Richarlson's praises today, but I don't know if you guys saw it, but the video of him like crying with his family after the match was pretty, I don't know, it's pretty cool to watch a guy who has to like play for Watford and Everton, like, you know, score a brace in his first Champions League match and really take it all in. So, I mean, he's really becoming a fan favorite very quickly at Spurs, which every Everton fan that I know was basically telling me was going to happen, but it's still kind of amazing to watch it happen. Yeah, the uh, the transition he's made from that annoying player we hated to, oh, look how cool this guy is, and isn't he sweet, and isn't that his mom? Like, that's, you know, it's very, it's amazing. Got a cool pigeon dance. Seems like quite a character. I mean, what more can you ask for? I'm kind of amazed how much Kane seems to like him. Like... <laughs> Kane seems to be very chuffed to be playing alongside him in a way that I is taking me a bit by surprise. But maybe he's just happy that Spurs are like signing like elite, but not elite, but like top level forwards. I'll, I'll be honest. I think ninety percent of that is just Kane is kind of a dummy, and he just sees, oh, we've got Brazil's number nine. That means something super special. It might. <laughs> it might. <laughs> Well, I, I think the other thing aside... It is kind of cool. you got to admit. It is kind of cool that Brazil's never died plays for us. It's very cool. I think I think aside from Harry Kane being dumb, I think the other thing that Richardson does is um, he takes some of the hits that Harry Kane would normally be taking. Like, he's bodying defenders and holding up the ball in, in, in ways that Harry Kane would have been to allow Harry Kane to do other things, like get into the penalty area or, you know, drop deep and, and spray passes around. I think that's probably why Harry Kane is so appreciative of him is he's doing a lot of the dirty work that no one else on the team has ever really been willing to do. 
I think it's my thing. Could be. <laughs> He's a great addition, right, Ben? Yes, great addition. You called it, which we called from the start, right? I knew it. I knew he was going to come in, not just be our fourth attacker, but the guy who was pushing our current elite front three and uh, going to put Sun on the bench. I knew it all along. <laughs> Well, on uh, on Ben's note of contrition, I think that's a good place for us to end it. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you on the Twitters? Hey, what's your cash app? Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. I, I don't think you want to be putting Brian's cash app in a public uh, setting, given, you know, what, yeah, what else is going on Yeah, why you got to blow up my spot like that? <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, and you can follow our show on Twitter at WDR Podcast, that's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, Don't forget to leave us a nice five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. Ben, do you have any final thoughts? It looks like I cut you off there. Uh, No, I was just going to comment on Brian's definitely illegal cash app transactions. Um, No. Look, you know, the, the one thing that I've learned is there's a limit to how much you can send and receive on Cash App. Um, I wish I had known that sooner. <laughs> and that is why Brian will be joining us from the Ozarks next week. <laughs> for Ben, for definitely not Brian, definitely someone under witness protection. <laughs> and for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>